welcome to another edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources. Here with me today is Dwayne Friend, and he's a Master Naturalist Coordinator and Climate Specialist with the University of Illinois Extension. How are you doing today, Dwayne? I'm doing fine. Uh, like we were just talking a little bit ago when we're, as we're doing this, it's cold and drizzly out and we're thinking we're going to have uh, hot and dry weather next week. So we're just wondering where spring is at. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed that we may get some after that whole hot spell, but we will see. That would be nice. Uh, so today's topic, we're going to be talking about ponds. Um, and we'll dive right on in here with the first question. So is it good to have a pond with no weeds? And the answer to that, the short answer is no. Uh, and, and there are some cases where folks like to have a perfectly pristine pond, but that's, uh, and that can be their choice, but it's not a natural condition. Uh, if you look at any pond, you typically have, you know, besides the aquatic life, such as fish, you're going to have some type of other types of organisms in there, whether it's uh, submerged plants, floating plants, uh, algae. Uh, that's just the natural condition. Now to have it excessively with those things is not a, a natural thing either, but typically you want to have some type of plant material in there, especially because what that does is as that material is photosynthesizing during the day, it's pumping oxygen into that water. And if you've got fish in that pond and you wanna keep that fish in there and keep them healthy, that oxygen that's being pumped into that water from the plants is vital. One of the things that happens, especially during the summer is as the water temperature goes up, the level of oxygen goes down in the water. The water just cannot take in as much dissolved oxygen when it's warmer. So as the water temperatures go up, the oxygen levels naturally go down. One of the things that can happen later on in the summer is um, as the plant material starts to die out, you start losing that additional oxygen that's going in there. And then you start having some decay taking place. The microorganisms that work on that use oxygen to function also. And so you get a big drop in oxygen levels. So one of the things that can happen if you have excessive amounts of plant material in there is if all of that dies out all at once, you may end up with a fish kill simply because uh, there's no oxygen in the water. And that's again, especially true when we have really hot summers, maybe dry summers as well, where we're not adding additional water into that pond. Very interesting. And, you know, how, I guess, is there a good ratio to have there that uh, folks would uh, be able to kind of check themselves on their ponds? Excellent question. Typically, what most uh, aquatic biologists, what most uh, fisheries biologists from the Illinois Department of Natural Resources suggest is having somewhere around 20% of the pond covered with uh, plant material. And so that's kind of the, the medium point in there where you've got enough plant material in there that it's it's putting in oxygen uh, as it's alive and, and growing, but it's not so much that when it dies out later on in the summer that it's going to take so much oxygen out as it decomposes that you're gonna to have to have concerns about a fish kill taking place. And one of the other concerns too is we typically, if somebody is going to control plants in the pond, 
we typically suggest not applying any herbicides after the 1st of July. And again, that's because by that time of the year, the water temperatures are going up. And if you have a lot of plant material that you kill out all at once, you're gonna have a sudden drop in oxygen levels that can lead to a fish kill as well. And a lot of times people wanna blame it on the herbicide when actually it was more a matter of just no oxygen in that pond for the fish. All right, thank you. Uh... So besides oxygen here, I mean, do is it uh, should folks be checking their ponds? You know, like uh, you know how we do for pools. You know, we check the pH balance and stuff. Is that something that we should do for ponds as well, or is there something that we should check? Well, in terms of of pH and those kind of things, most of our ponds are in Illinois are in pretty good shape with pH. Um, one of the concerns that may have been in place, say, 20 or 30 years ago, when we had higher uh, amounts of acid precipitation taking place, uh, there may have been a need for that back 20 or 30 years ago, more so than today. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, when you have a, a really low pH in the water, that is going to really cause some damage to a lot of different types of aquatic organisms, whether you're talking about frogs or snails or, or uh, fish or any of those things. Uh, today in Illinois, that's not typically the case. Um, there may be certain specific, <laughs> excuse me, situations where that can still occur, but typically uh, in terms of pH, you really don't have to be too concerned about it. Um, now, in terms of just looking at the overall health of the pond, uh, one of the things that you may want to look at is uh, turbidity or how much solid material is in that pond floating. Uh, a lot of times folks have um, a lot of sediment that's turning around. And especially if you've got bottom feeding fish in the pond that stir up that bottom, a lot of that material can be suspended in that water and stay suspended for a long period of time. And if it's something that the pond owner is okay with, then, then that's fine. But one of the things that happens with a lot of, especially sediment in the pond, is you're all cutting down the site for vision feeding fish uh, to be able to function well. Uh, and the other thing is, as more sediment is in the pond, that also increases the potential for the temperature of that pond water to go up more because those uh, sediment particles, just like land, can heat up more and at a faster rate than water does. So that brings up the overall temperature of the pond. So those are our main concerns with having too much sediment in the pond and some ways to, to maybe try to keep that from taking place. Again, if you've got bottom feeders in there, if there's a way that you can uh, uh, limit the amount of bottom feeders in the pond, that would be great. Uh, the other thing is if you've got a lot of sediment coming into the pond, which uh, is not a good thing because that's filling that pond up. If you can do any type of aquatic vegetation to basically halt that sediment from going in, whether it's a vegetative filter strip, a long grass waterway that that water can flow through before it empties in the pond, something like that, that will trap that sediment, allow the water to go on into the pond, but trap the sediment and keep that from going into the pond would be great. Or if there's space and if there's um, really a need for it, having actual sediment pond where that water comes in, settles out, that sediment settles out, then the water goes on into the pond is something that's an option as well. Obviously, that is something because it's a smaller containment area that you have to 
basically clean out the sediment probably every couple of years. But if you're trying to protect the main pond, that is another option to think about. Well, that is uh, a lot of fantastic information there. I never even thought about the sediment causing uh, that much trouble for ponds out there. So yeah, that was a very interesting uh, informational piece there. Thank you. Sure. Now, when, now when we're talking about fish kills out there, um, you know, you say it's a drop in oxygen. Now we're talking about like an entire pond being killed off. Uh, is there any um, recommendation or advice for folks out there that maybe may encounter a fish kill uh, on how to uh, kind of bring that pond back? Well, one of the things to look for, a kind of a, a precursor to that, kind of a warning sign if to look for in case there is some you're, you may suspect that there's low oxygen in there. If you go out early in the morning, say right around sunrise, and you look at your pond and you've got some big fish at the surface looking like they're gasping for air, that's a giveaway that you've got very low oxygen levels in the pond because those bigger fish are some of the first ones that are going to be affected by low oxygen levels. So that's really an emergency situation where you've got extremely low oxygen levels. And oxygen levels in a pond vary daily. Uh, during the day when plants are photosynthesizing, typically in the middle afternoon, that's when the highest oxygen levels are in the pond. When the sun goes down at night, the plants are not photosynthesizing, oxygen levels drop down. So typically the lowest oxygen levels in the pond on a daily cycle is right at sunrise. So that's when your lowest levels are going to be during the day, and that would be a good time of the day to go out and check for that kind of thing. If you have an emergency situation like that, uh, you know, if you can get some type of aeration into the pond, uh, whether it's a, a regular pond aerator uh, or under really critical conditions, if you've got a, a boat that you can get into the pond that has a, a prop motor on it and tilting that motor up so it kind of agitates that water and bubbles it up to the uh, near the surface, that helps more of that oxygen in the atmosphere get dissolved into the water. And again, that would be an emergency situation to try to do something like that, but that would maybe help save some of the fish. Um, under those situations, you know, if, you, if this is something that happens on a yearly basis, uh, people should probably consider putting in some type of aerator, whether that's a um, uh, agitator that just kind of bubbles water up at the surface. That is really what provides a lot of uh, surface contact between water and the atmosphere itself. Fountains can also work. Uh, a lot of folks like those because they're more aesthetically pleasing. They may not actually provide as much benefit in terms of adding oxygen into the water, but they still work. And then some folks use a, a bubbler, which is essentially something that's sitting down near the bottom of the pond and bubbles, uh, oxygen bubbles up to the surface. One of the, the things that people need to be aware of with that, if they do that, they don't want to do it at a time of year, again, during the, the midsummer, adding that uh, in the midsummer, those bubblers, because one of the things that will happen at first is when that bubbler starts up, it's probably also going to agitate some of that muck that's down at the bottom of the pond, uh, which has a lot of organic material in it. And even though you got that bubbler going, those first few days, that organic material is going to overwhelm the system, and you could still end up with the fish kill in midsummer if you do that at that time of year. So if you're going to add the bubblers, 
better to do it in a cool part of the season. Awesome. Thank you. Um, now, we did talk a little bit about uh, herbicides and again, not uh, after July 1st there. Um, is there a specific herbicide that you would recommend or something that's good for uh, the plant life that we have here in Illinois? Well, that's, that's a good question. And the answer is there is no one herbicide that will work on every type of pond plant. Uh, for example, copper sulfate works very well on algae, but will not work on any other type of plant. So um, there are lots of resources available that uh, we can provide, University of Illinois Extension can provide lots of uh, uh, websites out there also that have really good information on uh, very detailed uh, tables in terms of what type of plant is out there, uh, also including the ID portion of the, uh, the, the situation. So being able to ID that plant and then being able to see what type of herbicide will best work on it. In a lot of cases for uh, submerged plants, surface plants, there may be a number of different types of uh, ingredients, active ingredients that will work on plants. Some of them are systemic where they go into the plants. Others are just contact herbicides where they just come in contact with it and kill the plant. Uh, and all of these resources that we can provide also show uh, information on safety issues in terms of how long people would need to keep from swimming in it or livestock concerns or those kind of things. So um, again, we can provide that information. Um, and I will say that uh, Illinois Department of Natural Resources has a, a nice booklet on uh, farm pond management um, and actually uh, giving a, a, a plug to a, a neighboring uh, extension uh, state, but Purdue has a really good pond management website that they just developed a really updated here in the last couple of years that has a lot of really good information on plant ID and then different types of control, whether you're talking about cultural, mechanical, or uh, um, the herbicides. Dwayne, awesome. Thank you so much on that. Uh, do you have any uh, additional resources other than what you've given us right now? Well, I would say if somebody does have any specific pond questions, um, you can try contacting your local office, uh, but I'm also happy to help anyone that has those questions. My email address is friend, F-R-I-E-N-D, at illinois.edu, uh, or you can give me a call at the office. It's 217-243-7424, and I'll be happy to help someone out. Dwayne, thank you so much for all of the fantastic information that you've given us here today and appreciate, as always, uh, talking with you about the, a lot of these uh, fantastic topics here. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And that concludes this edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.